Red Kite Prayer is hosting its first ever event October 12th through 14th, 2018, the Red Kite Rendezvous. The two and a half day event will feature bikes from some of the industry's top frame builders, two gravel rides, some of the world's finest craft beers, which are brewed locally, plus enough food to make the pedaling fun. For more information or to register, go to redkiteprayer.com backslash store. The Pull is brought to you by the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, the world's premier annual gathering of bicycle frame builders and frame building enthusiasts. The 2019 show will take place March 15th to 17th at the Sacramento Convention Center in Sacramento, California. We hope to see you there. Well, hey, Mike, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. It seems like it's been getting more and more frequent in our lives after we've circled each other in this industry for a great many years. So I'm, I'm enjoying increased contact. Oh, thank, thanks very much, Patrick. It's, thank, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting that we've traveled these parallel paths for a couple decades now and haven't had a whole lot of intersection until recently. But that's kind of how life works, isn't it? It, it does sometimes. Uh, you know, it's always nice when you get to, to choose those next moves and, and choose your associations. Um, and I guess one of the big things for me was deciding at one point that, you know, with Red Kite Prayer, it's like, oh, hang on. I'm the boss. I can write about <laughs> anything I want to. <laughs> I don't. Yep. I don't have an editor going. Well, we don't cover mountain bikes, um, or magazines going. Well, yeah, you're you're a road bike guy. You're not our mountain bike guy. We've got the mountain bike guy. Um, that sort of thing. It's like, oh right. no, we're just going to include mountain biking now because it's bikes and it's cool and that's what we're going to do. So that nice. certainly has helped. Yeah, um, and you know, it was a, a big piece that fueled my decision to move to Sonoma County and move away from Southern California, you know, because for me to go on a mountain bike ride, unless I was willing to ride to some okay single track for, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes, you know, on the road to get there, I would otherwise have to drive for at least a half an hour to get in it to any single track from where I lived. And yeah. now I ride 200 meters. That's a, there's sort of an irony in that, that, you know, for a long time, you could, you, it was argued that the, the hub of print media was Southern California. You had Daisy High Torque down there. Rodale had an office down there. Yeah. Bike was down there. Dave Howes' magazines were down there. And uh, I, you know, I've written a column for 24 years in bike, and they've been based in either... San, San Juan Capistrano or Carlsbad and there is riding right near there there's actually pretty decent riding right near there when they were in, in San Juan Capistrano it wasn't too far to go up Ortega Highway and you could hit San Juan Trail or you could you could be out there in Laguna Beach and there was there was some okay stuff but I yeah. I, I was constantly seen as the, the goddamn condescending holier than thou Northern Californian and I was living in Santa Cruz 
which is pretty good. I, people, I think Santa Cruz is a little bit overrated. Oh, come it, on. It, 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 it takes one for the team. If you were to say Santa Cruz is awesome and all the trails there are legal, that would be one thing, but you can't. Half the most of the trails that people are riding and raving about and flocking to from all around Northern California technically don't even exist. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's why I mean I think that it can be a little bit overrated, and and I would still stack Sierra High Country riding up above that any day of the week. But when you're contrasting Southern California, there is there are amazing rides to be done down there but when you look at how far you kind of have to go from one ride to the other and from one riding area to the other and how many millions of people you have to sort of navigate through on blacktop to get to it it's uh yeah it's it's not dynamite (laughs) yeah (laughs) not dynamite yeah um I, you know, for me, and I mean, the funny thing is my experience with Santa Cruz is that I, you know, I couldn't tell you which trails I've been on that were legal versus which ones were illegal. I, I literally don't know. I mean, I know I've ridden plenty of legal stuff, but on any occasion when somebody steered me off onto something illegal and didn't bother to actually inform me of that, I was none the wiser. Um, that's that's sort of the beauty of that area, though, in that a large amount of that de facto illegal or theoretically non-existent trail network is user-built, is user-maintained. It it goes through an, a, diff, a patchwork of different um, different ownerships or or stewardships, and so it is pretty hard for anyone to rest any control on it. And by and large, it goes unnoticed. There there's no one else really in those woods riding on those trail or hiking or doing anything on those trails right. um at some point i suspect there will be a tipping point and i i feel i feel nervous for if and when that does happen but they've attempted crackdowns in the past and it's never really occurred and for the most part the trails are surprisingly well cared for and and well thought out if something is built that's unsustainable after a while it kind of gets abandoned and they build something else that is more sustainable and and it's all done, you know, under cover of darkness, more or less. Um, there, there's something remarkable about that in terms of the self-leveling effect of of people when just left to their own devices. <laughs> and at the same time, there's some kind of sketchy of like this could just go sideways any minute now. <laughs> well put, well put. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm I'm sensitive to what you're saying because we experience something very, very similar here with respect to Anadel. In that, you know, I don't know, but maybe, you know, maybe um, 40% of the mileage of trails in Anadel is uh, is illegal. Um, right. You know, I, I don't really know. I don't know if anybody's done any sort of survey to say, you know, oh, you know, I wrote all this on Strava. It's all illegal. And here's the legal. And it's 60. I, I have no idea what measure of it is. It's it's a little easier to tell in Anadel where the legal versus illegal stuff is um, that said the the best descents that I've done in Anadel are illegal um, and certainly the, the most work being done to maintain trails and 
the the best design trails are the illegal trails. Um, I will give a nod to the Trails Council uh, for some of the work that they've been done. They've been brought in by the park system to do some work here and there and repair some sections and whatnot. And the work they've done has been just exemplary and is the sort of thing that, you know, makes those places, you know, more usable for, for all users. Whereas, you know, on this, what they call the network, um, that that patchwork of of handmade trails you don't really want to be back there on anything other than a mountain bike there's not enough room for a horse i don't know why you'd want to hike it i I, again i probably am not somebody who should really talk about hiking because most of the time it doesn't make any sense to me i like wheels <laughs> so I I don't I wouldn't want to be perceived as somebody who who knocks hiking. Hiking's lovely stuff, um, just not for me. Oh, after all those years in Boy Scouts, oof. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm late in life, kind of coming to have a little bit of a revelation about hiking, and not in a militant walking stick sort of way. But I'm I'm enjoying getting off the bike from time to time and I've been where I live now there are no trails period I'm deep deep in rural Monterey County on 85 acres of poison oak and I'm building my own trails which the return on investment there is not really high in terms of fun like the amount of time you spend building a mile of single track the amount of time you spend riding a mile of single track is tipped way heavily and in on the side of just calluses and sweat and pain it's a little Uh, bit like being a parent yeah i guess so there will be a reward (laughs) at some point (laughs) for the most part it's just the gnashing of teeth and crying yourself to sleep it's awfully front loaded yeah yeah (laughs) but uh part of that like i i live next to a very large swath of national forest which then back straight into the ventana wilderness Mm -hmm. there's a ton of trails up in there uh, a few of the people I know have ridden them and described them as just horrific death marches of incredibly steep side hill and livid poison oak and, and biting insects. It's it's hot, it's steep, it's it burns every few years. We just had the largest wildfire in, or the most expensive wildfire in United States history right. rip through here last year. Um, but it's a wilderness area. And really it's it sucks to ride but it's really beautiful to go hiking in. <laughs> and then i'm kind of i'm so i'm kind of coming to this latent appreciation of wow this is kind of nice in here i'm okay walking around in this well you sound like just the sort of guy we should send to the tourism board as as their next pr manager how so <laughs> I w- I, that was actually i, I meant that as iron i'm i'm failing today <laughs> <laughs> well, so the reason I really wanted to talk to you was, you know, we were having a conversation recently um, about Bentonville, Arkansas, and trail building and trail crews and paying trail crews uh, to build trail. And you laid some information on me that really kind of surprised me. And so let's oh talk a, a little bit about trail crews that are normally hailing from california and where a lot of them are right now Good. i hope i can remember this and understand that half of what i'm going to say is going to be hearsay and i won't have any facts to back it up so, perfect 
Yeah, we were in Bentonville last October as part of Bike Magazine's Bible Bike Tests, and we were there for three weeks. And there, they were just building trail like fiends. And what I heard during this time was that a lot of uh, independent trail building contractors and for-profit trail building entities west of the Mississippi, right? So let's take the western half of the United States. It was getting difficult to find anyone to work on trail projects because all of these trail crews were being hired by the Walton Foundation and their trail crew to build trails in Bentonville, in and around Bentonville. And uh, they had somewhere around 250 miles of trail built at that time, I think, total. Mm. And, and much, much more slated to go. We were riding in this one area that they hadn't opened up yet. We had permission to do this. It was called Kohler, C-O-L-E-R. And, and that trail network was, they, they, it was incredible what they were building in a very dense landscape. Not a huge amount of vertical topography, but they were just building these armored rock trails with these jump features. They were, they were, jump lines and chicken lines around them they had they were just you'd walk around the woods and you would see like a half a dozen bobcats i mean bobcat mm-hmm. uh, excavators not not the wild animals laid out in the woods just cutting in trail and dozens of people working the guys from bicycling magazine were just out there right and those trails that were still sort of like primitive and not very well built they were by let's say so that was October by February in done built armored totally unrecognizable the same place we've been riding now looked like an entirely different landscape and so much more had been built wow Wow. All courtesy, all courtesy of Walmart. Ugh. Yeah. And that's, that is a really thorny, difficult uh, issue to confront, you know, in terms of how they function in our national economy, um, the drain that they are in terms of employment and what they pay people. Um, it reminds me of, you know, some of the issues that we face when we look at Apple and buying new iPhones. You know, it's like, yeah, not really great for the environment, not really great for that workforce working on them over there. Um, pretty dynamite device. Kind of hard to live without one now. Okay, camera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle to define that. So, like, in the case of the Walton Foundation, one of their main purposes is betterment betterment of quality of life or improvement of quality of life for the people of Northwest Arkansas. So it fits in with what they're doing. And it's not really about Walmart at that point. You know, Walmart yep. is from there. The Walton family is from there. What they may do in the rest of the world is you, you can judge that however you want to. But what they're trying to do is make a difference in their hometown. Yeah. Um, and and I don't want to be the one to judge what the what the greater scale balancing act of that is. I can I understand why they're doing it as well in terms of Bentonville is the headquarters of Walmart. They have to compete with you know if they're looking for executive talent to work in their home offices, 
they have to compete with Silicon Valley and they have to compete with New York and they have to compete with Colorado and Arkansas is probably not the top of the list for a lot of people yeah but then you go to Bentonville and suddenly there's hundreds of miles of world-class single track there and there is an art museum that is just amazing and and there are restaurants coming into town and it's you know they are really trying to make their community more attractive Remarkable. I'm sure there's an ulterior motive right as far as the corporate sure. entity goes sure. but if yeah. the quality of life is better for the people of Bentonville I don't see anyone in Bentonville who would have reason to complain about that right and I'm actually going there next week to do three days of riding I wish it was three weeks hell I'd be happy with one week but I'll get to do three days of riding there next week and uh, I'm really looking forward to it based on you know things I've heard from you and you know the folks I know at bicycling and whatnot. it does sound truly remarkable and I, you know there's Whatever our personal feelings about Walmart are, um, you know, there's something really to celebrate about uh, the fact that this foundation is doing what it can to change the fortunes of that area of Arkansas. Um, I mean, you know, they've got a good start. Northwest Arkansas, the Ozarks, that's as good as Arkansas gets. Um, you know, that's about the prettiest area you can you can visit for i don't know 250 miles in any direction yeah, yeah you know it's it is uh remarkably pretty i did vacations there as a child and uh, uh you know it was it was nice stuff i grew up in memphis this okay. would where, be where you offer me your condolences um memphis isn't that bad is it <laughs> oh like, I, i'm a child of the west well i grew up in another country completely but there's you know, that i i have the uh the luxury of perspective that is entirely west of the Rockies, basically. So I know that there is a landmass east of the Rockies that much <laughs> of the physical topography of the United States exists in. And I have at time visited little spots of it, but I've never been to Memphis. I, I hear they have good ribs. Well, you know, we kill when it comes to barbecue. Um, and for a while there in the 1980s, the music scene was pretty rocking and i was playing in a couple of bands there and uh had an awful lot of fun in that phase of my life but it's a place that um well during the warmer months the weathermen will say just as a kind of shorthand it's going to be 90s and 90s today and you know Anytime you get above about 60% humidity and above about 85 degrees, it gets uncomfortable. And yeah. so Memphis uh, sustains uncomfortable in a way that not a lot of other places uh, I've been. I mean, you know, any place south of there in the U.S. knows it just as well. I was going to say, yeah, isn't that kind of like the entire Gulf state? summer identity right yeah pick jackson mississippi or new orleans or miami or atlanta or charleston or you know yeah. <laughs> on and on yeah um it it gives you an interesting perspective on reading faulkner i'll say that it <laughs> does it does inform your reading of faulkner in a really helpful way and uh flannery o'connor again for that matter um ah. i uh, even though i ran screaming from the 
the South. I learned some years later that I am a Southern writer, and I have a strong affinity for both O'Connor and Faulkner. And we are now way, way wildly off track on this interview. <laughs> you, you, you took us there, man. Yep. I'm, I'm not going to bring up Confederacy of Dunces or anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think we've got a, uh, a, an audience, a listenership that uh, will will indulge us this. Um, but so, you know, we've talked about Bentonville now. Getting back to really the bigger question is, you know, what sorts of things have to change um, metaphorically in a climatic way? Uh, how does the climate have to change here in California for us to begin to be able to build trail in that way. You know, what is it we're not doing right? You're, you're talking about the, the social climate, right? Or as opposed to the physical climate. Um, I know I'm being obtuse for a reason. So yeah. I, I, in terms of what has to change, like California is really the, this, this golden promise and this, this amazing, amazing state that's absolutely fucked. And, and it's this way because it's, it's such an incredible geography, climate, variety of both geography and climate, or topography and climate, that it's been so attractive to so many people for so long. And now there's, what, 37 million people in the state? Uh, yeah, yeah. It drew so, people like me. <laughs> so, in some ways, in and I'm I don't want to sound like a pessimist about this. I'm trying to be a realist. In some ways, expectations, especially when it comes to recreational use, expectations kind of have to be managed with that in mind. To just expect we're going to get more single track in the Bay Area, or we're going to get more single track in and around L.A. When you've got millions of people competing for the same recreational resources, right? It's it makes sense to say, yeah, let's build some more trail, and that would alleviate the burden of traffic on the existing trails. But then you're going to build more trail in areas where maybe there's like this tiny little sliver of an animal habitat corridor, and people will complain, oh, the environmental impact reports are killing us, or oh, you can. You tree-hugging hippies are killing us or whatever. But it's 37 million people are killing us. You go to the less populated parts of California, and there really isn't any trouble building trail. Look what they're doing up in Downeyville, what the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship are doing these days. Yeah. Look what they've done in places like Kernville. Look what's going on in uh, Truckee. Jeez, look at truck. Go ride in Truckee. You want to talk about an unspoken of gem of public access and interconnected trails that you can pretty much ride almost all the way around Lake Tahoe on single track legally mm. from hopscotching from one 30 to 40 mile patchwork network of single track to the next and just put them all together for hundreds and hundreds of miles of riding. And, you know, it's, and it's all open and endorsed. Some of it's even motorcycle legal. It's, it's it's amazing what they're achieving in the parts of the state that are less populated. Mm-hmm. So so we kind of have to split the dialogue at that point. Like it's not really just the mechanism of the state that is slowing down or impeding new trail. It's 
it's the the conflicting considerations of a giant population base i think that always have to be borne into account the other side of that is and excuse me if i'm if i'm tangentializing here the other side of that is that it's easy to build trail in economically depressed areas there have been so many models proven that hey you put some single track in here and you actually create tourist revenue you bring people to this area if you build it they will come right. this has been proven around the world and some of the first experiments in that were in Wales and you know Scotland at the borderlands and they are just doing it over and over again all over the planet and it works wow but that is in economically depressed areas that are generally stagnant or declining in population so you're saying that Marin County might not be a point of future success. <laughs> I, it's 11.30 in the morning, and that just made me take a sip of beer. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think Marin County is ever really going to be a point of success. And I, I applaud the efforts of the people who are working so tirelessly there. And I recognize that that a large percentage of the use group of the trails in Marin are mountain bikers, and that they're absolutely screwed in terms of quality of access and percentage of access. There, there are there's an aging establishment that is very anti-bike and has been since the invention of the mountain bike. Yep. And I. Uh, I think that it would be great to see more trails show up in Marin, but I think people need to have a little bit of a reality check as well of like, what are what are reasonable expectations of that trail use going to be? If you build trails, how are you going to manage conflicts on it? Is it really going to alleviate the conflicts that are already happening? Because the conflicts that are happening are, you know, the the equestrian hiker cyclist dynamic in Marin is so toxic. I don't, know how that's going to change without some sort of cataclysmic event. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've often wondered if, you know, what is it? Some 90 ish percent of the available single track has been ruled off limits to mountain bikes in Marin County. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I wonder, you know, should that battle just be conceded and then the battle to ride in Marin County be shifted to, well, let us build trail, you know, that is mountain bike specific or, you know, can at least be insured to be multi-use um, and then proceed in that direction, given the population density, you know, and given the size of those user groups of hikers and equestrians, um, is it is it smarter to just shift all those efforts from trying to reopen the closed single track? And I understand how much has been lost in terms of, you know, historicity and, right. you know, significance. Um, it It's tragic in a way to, you know, have lost, you know, such an important part of our the past of our sport. But, you know, it doesn't seem to be getting healthier. And... Well, you know? No, and and we, uh, this is uh, and this is why I don't think there's an easy cultural fix. And this comes down to a 
it's it's not just Marin, it's not just California. It's it's a very American way of thinking, and that is that that recreation is a right and not a privilege, and that everybody in their own particular type of recreation is really attached to the, the primacy or the supremacy or the the legitimacy of their form of recreation. And yeah. and no one wants to give an inch. And mountain bikers have been repeatedly I can't really say ass fucked on a podcast, can I? <laughs> it's a little late now. <laughs> oh, well, well it hasn't been good for mountain bikers. They're they're sort of the newest use group to come along. But at the same time, they carried a chip on their shoulder. We, I, yeah. I say this as a mountain biker, we're dicks. We're not doing ourselves any favors when it comes to our our chances of increasing access because we're not the nicest people out there. That said, equestrians, they can be total assholes. Hikers, mm. they can be total assholes. This is a thing where I've been in other countries and I don't notice it this much. When I I've been in, I've been riding in France, you go you're in the French Alps and you ride up some famous Tour de France road climb and you get to the top of that hill, you get to the top of Col de Glibier and you can go into Italy if you want, and there's single track just splitting off in every direction once you get off that road. Yeah, and it's all legal, and you go on those trails and there's people on horses and there's people like an entire family all wearing loafers, none of them wearing socks, go figure, miles from where they parked their car, having <laughs> yep. a picnic right in the middle of the trail. And there's people on trials motorcycles. And the trail, everyone waves, and you ride down the trail, and then the trail starts going through people's yards, and there's people out having lunch. And you're riding through their yard, and they smile and they wave, and you smile and you wave back. Yep, yep. This would not happen in America. Oh, Culturally, hell our, no. Yeah. Our identity got forged i don't know if it was puritans i don't know if it was the genocide of the indians or slavery or the invention of the barbed wire fence all of which are very american things yeah i don't know what caused us to have this possessive chip but when it comes to public lands lands that everyone who pays taxes into the way that those public lands are sectioned up for use and then the way the use groups of those public lands are so willing to just rain bloody hellfire down on each other, it kind of – it stops me in my tracks. It, Yeah. Yeah, it's really depressing. I think about some experiences that I had riding in southern Germany, you know, Bavaria, and being on these multi-use trails and – the hikers just stepping out of the way immediately and saying "close good" as I rode by, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, wow, you know, they they were as ready to celebrate me as other hikers, and you know, it was a little bit of a head scratcher. You yeah. Know? And you look at the population density of those areas, and and everything I'd said before about population density in urban California goes straight out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got it worse. There's there is less public land per capita in those countries than there is in the state of California. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they've they've learned uh, a, a, a spirit of cooperation that just simply has not penetrated, or maybe it was weeded out. You know, maybe we decided, you know, Madison Avenue and the advertising community decided that was just something that needed to be weeded out in the spirit of capitalism. 
I, you ah. know, I, I, well, that's, that's a bigger, that's a bigger one. I hadn't really gone there. I, I'm still kind of hinging it back on the end of the open range and manifest destiny and all that kind of stuff. I think it was something a little more insidious and a little more deliberate. Huh. I, well. I, I have a dark opinion of some, some tranches of people. <laughs> Which then brings us into the whole states rights movement, doesn't it? And how that works for land access and wilderness, yeah. yeah. etc. So, I mean, back to your point about, you know, having having you know more economically depressed areas be good locations uh to build trail you know i'm just wondering you know if we were to spitball like you know where where should we look at like you know trying to uh help reinforce you know efforts that are already afoot you know the sierra buttes um uh you know what's going on in mendocino we were just talking about that in our last show um jackson state forest you know that stuff yeah yeah. um i mean is it you know just in terms of you know selfishly certainly educating me but also for the purpose of our audience you know maybe helping to shift thought about you know where we should be thinking is you know the future of mountain biking in northern california you know looking at places like those for well you know let's become a part of some foundation and you know give some funding to somebody so that we can help underwrite uh trail crews and you know get some of these trail building crews back in california you know give them a reason to be here and building trail i think that the entire anywhere you look along the sierras whether it be the foothills of the sierras up over the crest eastern side of the sierras Anything that isn't currently wilderness, which I mean, there's a lot of wilderness up there. Mm-hmm. There's an immense amount of national forest land that is kind of on a on a department by department or station by station basis. Sometimes it's managed well, sometimes it's managed abysmally. Uh, but there's a huge amount of public land that is in areas where there are small towns that have been dying ever since gold rush fell apart or ever since the timber industry fell apart and they would be gagging for recreational opportunities they should be uh the only rec you know if you or revenue generating opportunities if you look at places that were subsisting on logging and then the logging went away the only places that have economically thrived since then in the state of california have been where they're growing marijuana now <laughs> and they're yeah, probably not going to be too stoked on trail, but that might change. Who knows? Um, but then you run into that same thing of like, let's redefine or let's let's shift focus of what defines mountain biking. Does it have to happen in mountains? Does it have to be this this big country, beautiful experience out there? In which case, people have to drive there. They have to go to a location. So mm-hmm. pull back from that, and then you start looking at what do you do about local trails then? What do you do in areas where there are already populations? How can you start getting trails near to them? Right. right. And and what are the pressures that are stopping that from happening? I, I, what comes to mind for me is something like, not to throw them under the bus, but... East Bay, East Bay parks. Mm-hmm. It gets pretty empty out there, and yeah. bikes are pretty much forbidden 
on most of the trails out there. When there's it's a lot purely, of people. Uh, there's a lot of people that are nearby that could access that with minimal impact. And I don't think that their reasons for excluding bikes have anything to do with the pressures of population and competing use groups like I've been ranting about for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I think it's a purely political axe to grind where someone at the legislative end of that just doesn't like bikes. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, okay. So to end this on a more upbeat note, again, uh, you've mentioned uh, the Sierra Buttes uh, uh, Trail Conservancy. Um, stewardship. Right, stewardship. Sierra, yeah, Sierra there we go. Trail stewardship. As it was coming out of my mouth, I knew I was getting it wrong. Okay. <laughs> so you've you've mentioned that. You know, give me two uh, two or three other organizations who, you know, from your, you know, I'm going to call it vast experience. Um, you know, you, you've got a lot of insight into what's been happening in Northern California. Who is doing work that impresses you? Who who deserves, you know, a little shot in the arm in terms of new members or, you know, charitable donations, that sort of thing? Uh, partly because it's home turf, but also partly because they have come an immense distance since I was a condescending asshole marketing director for a certain bicycle company and didn't even want to entertain them because their rhetoric at the time just seemed so misplaced. And now they are doing amazing work, Mountain Bikers of Santa Cruz. Mm, yeah. They've, they have come a long way. They are involved at the community level on many different projects. They are attempting to and succeeding in getting trail built in a climate that is really uh, a, a difficult, difficult uh, negotiation at the best of times. There are so many things at work in that community that aren't necessarily uh, poisonous to mountain biking, but are just, it's a difficult place to make progress in a lot of ways. Um, and they're, they're really doing a good job of kind of like treading between these different political ideals and, and achieving stuff. And, and the manner in which they're going about fundraising and putting on events like the the old cabin classic that just happened last weekend. Yep, they're they're really stepping up. So I'm, I'm very impressed with with their evolution. They've they've done a lot of good work in the last you know in the last decade, but it seems like the last four or five years have really stepped up. Yeah, I mean they've gotten some of my money. I'm I'm impressed as hell. Uh, I sh I should certainly send them even more. I I love what they're doing, and I anyone I, who lives. Oh, sorry, Kara. Well, I was just going to say it's one of those things. Just as a as a a vote of confidence in mountain bike advocacy, I kind of feel like you know people ought to throw money at them. Just as a great example, you know, of what happens when we get behind a group and and help them with a little more horsepower. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll pitch Sierra Butte Trail, Trail Stewardship again. I'm biased. I'm that group is very near and dear to me, and I have witnessed from the formation of that nonprofit the struggles and the maturation that they've gone through, and the vision that they share 
for their area is huge and comprehensive, and they're, they are a model by which many other nonprofits could learn. Um, Tamba, Tahoe Area Mountain Bike Association, they also are they're kicking ass and not even bothering to take names. They're doing such good work in and around Tahoe that it's, it's, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next five years brings up there. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're killing it. Mike, thank you so much. This has been just flipping terrific. Oh, Patrick, thank you. Thank cool, you. Man. Any, anytime I get a chance to, to bend ear, whether it's, coherent or not I'll, I'll take it cool well uh i guess what we need to do now is figure out a chance to go ride together i'd like that you want to uh, come down here and, and grapple some poison oak before it gets too hot um yes <laughs> <laughs> all right then I'm, I'm big on the single track i'm less big on the poison oak but i can just cover myself in tech new um so uh, yes yes absolutely <laughs> All right. If not, I'll, I'll get up your way. I hear there's good beer to be had at your place right now. Yeah, and I just bought a bunch last night. Oh, I'm a little sore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep those wheels underneath you. Yeah, man. All righty. Well, thanks much. Anytime. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks to my guest, Mike Ferentino, for joining me on the poll. To learn more about his work with the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship, you can visit them at sierratrails.org. Of his future, he says he's holding out for rock and roll. But I'm a bassist, man. That's it for this episode of The Pull. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to RKP's other podcast, The Pace Line, co-hosted by Celine Yeager, a.k.a. The Fit Chick from Bicycling Magazine, I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.